the one assumption that they made going into the pandemic uh, isn't true. The productivity did not suffer. It's, it's, it's supported by statistics. And the other thing that they did uh, found out is uh, creativity and innovation did not suffer either. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help professionals navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to stress less and earn more in their careers. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Marty Constant to the podcast. Marty is a workplace futurist, career coach, international keynote speaker, and author of Activate Your Agile Career. Her work helps you tell your story, build your brand, and move forward in your career in powerful new ways. In our conversation today, we talk about the battle between companies and employees over remote work, hybrid working environments, and going back into the office post-pandemic. Marty shares her keys to success in navigating the future of work and what you can do to bounce back and take control of your career. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and helps more job seekers build their career. And be sure to connect with Marty on LinkedIn to see all the great content that she's creating around career development and resumes, including her newsletter. That is all for the intro today. So without further ado, here's my combo with Marty Constant. With today's show, I, I love what, what you're talking about here because I think that it's really important and you're kind of like on cutting edge here you're you're like really at the cutting edge of of this virtual um engagement and experience stuff so we we talked about having hybrid remote work the alternative workforce and what i really enjoyed in the topics that you sent over was the virtual job search so are you seeing everything that you're talking about here everything that you're doing playing back into the into the workforce and we can kind of just kick things off here if you want yeah so um I, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it really is a job search, virtual or otherwise. Um, 90% of what you do on the front end is all online. And so if you do uh, get an opportunity to speak to people in person, it's usually towards the end of that entire process. So in, in a way, it's always been virtual. It's just that people started getting hired in the past year without even seeing anybody in person. And mm-hmm. then um, I've, I've worked with a, a handful of people whose jobs are, they've looked for remote only jobs and it's not hard to get them if they know what they're looking, particularly if they're in customer experience or customer support or things that lend themselves to uh, working in a remote environment. And you mentioned in in our back and forth um, that you were talking with someone who interviewed 16 times with the company. Um, And this is one of the things that I think is so interesting with uh, everything being virtual, everything being remote, is that we are sort of, it's, it's harder, it seems like it's harder to build trust remotely. Um, And maybe that's changing, but what I'm sort of seeing companies do is overcorrecting by having a hundred conversations with you before (laughs) hiring. And the length of time it takes for someone to get a job is just growing, right? It used to be two to three interviews. Now it's, you know, six to 10 and homework assignments and all sorts of other stuff. What, let's just take a step back. What do you think, how do you think trust is impacted by our sort of new remote kind of 
journey that we're going through? Uh, I, I think that's an interesting question. Um, having, you know, worked in person all my life, in fact, I had uh, one of my previous bosses, even when people could start working from home a couple days a month, uh, it wasn't allowed, you know, so I, I'm used to a lot of in-person stuff, but I found in, the, in terms of developing relationships, I found it much easier to develop relationships if, if you put the level of effort into it and you are honest and real in your conversations, I have found it easier um, than it has always been in the workplace. It's not that it's totally easy. There are aspects of being in person, you know, bumping into people in the hallway, getting the serendipity conversations. So the difference is that you have to plan. You have to plan for serendipity. Serendipity can happen, but you have to plan for it. So you just have to organize your time a little differently. But I think what you were getting at is on the job front. Is that, you know, like how do you establish trust? Quickly? Yeah, I kind of I want to break it down in a few different ways. I think in getting the job, how do job seekers build trust early and often? And, and, you know, we can pull in networking things, we can pull in all sorts of different stuff, but it's, you know, it's easy to go to an event and bump into people. It's harder to bump into the other attendees of an event online, but there are ways to do it. Um, and then even in the job, there is sort of this, I mean, there is the, uh, the great resignation going on that everyone's talking about on LinkedIn, right? Where, um, people are realizing, well, I want flexibility. We've been working remote for over a year. Why now do I have to be in the office, right? There's this uh, sort of argument starting to bubble up online between, um, you know, over the past year, we've seen hundreds of articles that say people are more productive when they work from home. And now companies are saying, you have to come back into the office because we don't trust that you're being productive at home, right? It's like, wait, why? what is this dichotomy going on here? What is this like doublespeak? And I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on how trust is built? Let's, let's start with in the job. Like when, when you're trying to decide between going into the office, having a hybrid workspace or having a remote workspace, um, what are the different impacts that has on people's work and, and the way that you build relationships or trust with coworkers? Yes, yeah, so I was just uh, researching this with uh, the first 90 days that somebody has on a job and how you can you know, actually make that a success versus 33%, job bite says that 33% of all of you uh, are leave your jobs after 90 days. And there's oh, wow. a lot of that's the expectations management game. And so if you use expectations management as the framework on both sides, it's a lot easier to build that trust. And I'll give the example of your boss, your immediate manager. It's not about waiting to be assigned anything because when you first start, that person, as well as everyone around you, is just really busy doing their own work. So it's your responsibility to figure some of that out, to meet with people, and to then get to a point where you're asking, how can I help? And this is how I think I can help. And these are the things that I've put together, like the first 30 days, know how and know who, right? So the, this is what I'm learning. You know, Say there's no framework for reporting put together one in an email. 
this is who I've talked to this week. This is the product knowledge, even assign some metrics and hours that you've spent on it. Uh, these are some of my insights. And um, I noticed that you have uh, a program coming up in September. Is there anything I can do to support your effort in that? You know, build that relationship and trust with your boss. Do you find that it's more difficult for people to do that virtually than when we were in the office? And um, what what are your thoughts on like the arguments around productivity? Do you think people can be productive remote the same way they can be in person? Or like, what would a hybrid workspace look like in your mind? Yes. So I just did a hybrid uh, workplace event yesterday for the Executive Learning Exchange. And there's a research group that studies this sort of thing. And all the corporations have all kinds of hybrid work environment studies going, you know, companies like Steelcase and Microsoft, and some of them are published. But the one thing that uh, I4CP, it's the um, Institute for Corporate Productivity. So they study these types of trends in organizations. And one of the VPs, Lori Likens, um, said yesterday in their research, which is called From Cube to Cloud, the Future of Work, is that uh, the one assumption that they made going into the pandemic uh, isn't true. The productivity did not suffer. It's 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 supported by statistics, and the other thing that they did uh, found out is uh, creativity and innovation did not suffer either. This isn't to mean that some people aren't individually challenged, but in the aggregate, these assumptions are not true. And so, when it comes to let's say going back to the job seeker now, right? There's a lot of people who are realizing, well, I don't need to live in LA and spend all this money. I don't need to be, um, you know, living in these big cities. Maybe I want to have a little bit more balance in my life and move to a different area and work remote. Um, But then they're coming across these companies who keep saying, well, we need to get everyone back in person so that we can uh, be productive, but the statistics don't back that up. So how do, how, do, how should folks navigate finding these remote jobs, being able to make the argument for remote work? Maybe they have a job and they want to be remote again, or they're being called back to the office. What, what are your thoughts on like how to talk to your company about these things or talk to a potential company about these things? Yeah, so I've, I've been reading a lot about this, Martin, and, you know, people saying, oh, well, let's get clear and let's go and pitch for, you know, what it is that you want. And my husband works for, uh, you know, one of the big banking businesses in this country, and he was invited back to work this week. Uh, July 14th was his start date, first day in, in uh, 16 months. And it goes like this, he received an invitation mm-hmm. and it's all staggered. People have different invitations. He does a lot of travel, so he's not in the office all the time, but with the limited travel that happened in the last year and a half, who knows if that will come back. So the office may be more of an issue, but I've talked to other people that are designing these programs um, from an organization perspective. They're starting with invite phase one, engage phase two and expect phase three. So these things are in phases and these policies that people think uh, like an employee or a new job seeker think are firm, they're not. 
these policies are in flux. Apple walked it back. Uh, Amazon walked it back. These companies are making decisions from a leadership standpoint and then changing it because they see, oh, people don't want that. So I'm talking about really big organizations right now, but you may be talking about, hey, I'm a job seeker. How do I find remote work? And I would say um, I did a search on remote work opportunities on LinkedIn, and I don't have the exact metric in front of me. I published it on LinkedIn, but it's just thousands upon thousands upon thousands of jobs that are available. And I just worked, two of my clients just landed 100% remote jobs, and they are middle management jobs, really smart jobs, um, and are, are really excited about it. So they're getting, you know, all their computer, their, you know, office, equipment and you know a printer and, and things like that at home and they couldn't be any happier they're doing a little bit of traveling for the role um, and are really excited about it so so the jobs are there mm -hmm. um, and I would say sometimes we want like oh we want the permission right on right away flow with it flow with it you know it's probably going to be everyone's probably going to go a three and two you know three days in the office two days out or two and three you're, it's going to evolve that way. And I mm -hmm. think sometimes people want it in black and white. Right. And I think it's just not going to happen like that. It's not going to be so clearly displayed because guess what? They don't really know. They are responding to the market, making policies and adjusting them. That's a really good point you make about the black and white thinking. And I think that this is something that all job seekers struggle with, right? It's like, I just want to know. I want to know exactly what my role is. I want to know exactly what, you know, like, why don't you just tell me what you're going to pay me on the job description, which, you know, there's some truth to that, right? But there's also, you know, it's kind of up to you to push and like negotiate, right? Um, the company, I think what you're hitting on here is really important for people to realize is that companies don't have all the answers. And a lot of this is conversation and negotiation, working together to create solutions. You know, I always say like, when you're talking to a company, they think they're hiring for this, this thing, but you might notice in the conversation that they actually don't need that at all. They need something completely different. Back when I did marketing consulting, I would sit down with people and they'd be like, we need a new website. And I'm like, do you though? Like, do you need a new website? Like what, where do your clients come from? Oh, they come from our email list. Okay. Maybe you need better emails, not a new website. Right. And so I think a lot of times we have this view of companies as these polished, perfect places that can do no wrong and should have all of their egg, you know, uh, should have all of their ducks in a row and everything like that. And then job seekers get really upset when companies kind of show their cards a little bit they didn't read my resume. What the heck? Like they didn't, they, they don't have an answer on what the budget is. What the heck? They don't know. Like, like we get really upset because we're trying to prepare so well and companies are kind of showing that they're hot messes on the inside a little bit. Um, and I always make the joke, like a company is just a bunch of people with their hair on fire trying to put things out, you know? And so what are your thoughts on like, what do job seekers maybe not understand about what companies are going through as they're navigating these transitions? Are there some like behind the scenes things that the people putting these policies together and trying to be like understanding, but also 
you know, understanding for the seeker and the company, what are, what are some of the things that maybe job seekers don't fully understand about how companies operate? Okay, so companies, um, the Executive Learning Exchange is made up of a lot of people who work at, at some of these big companies, medium-sized companies, manufacturing companies. And the summary yesterday, um, the, the bottom line of the entire session for the organization was be prepared to experiment, be prepared to do prototypes, be prepared to test. So Steelcase had, um, you know, they, they showed some social hub type environments. And some people, you know, were saying in the chat, like, oh, well, that looks really cool. But like, I don't know, like, it, it looks like it could be noisy there. You know, like, people don't know. And that's the thing, you know, my husband showed up at his job this week on Wednesday. And, um, you know, they, they shipped in lunch for the 10 people that were on his floor of this big bank, because it's, it's staggered. There's not even like 50 or 60 people on the floor. So it's going to happen more. So they're, they're, they're doing what they can to invite them back into the workplace, but they, they don't really know how this is all going to fall out. So I think, you know, whether we call it a hot mess, I would say, understand that the companies are really trying, um, but the assumptions about who should be making these decisions are at opposite ends. So Kevin Oaks, the C, uh, CEO of I4CP, uh, did a napkin illustration, and it's it's been distilled into a diagram on the research from Cube to Cloud. And the research has um, who should make the decision about, you know, being in the workplace, hybrid or whatever. And so the CEOs think that they should be making the decision. The senior leaders think that they should be making the decision. It's on a curve. And then there's another curve for the individual. The individuals think 100% they should be making this decision. The decisions are somewhere in between, mm. and 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 they are they are paying attention. They're they're totally paying attention. Look at what some of these big companies are doing and changing, you know, switching out their strategies um, on this. You know, some of them aren't using as much office space as they used to, um, and and I think you know I know people that really like being in a work environment, and I know. Um, some people a couple of years out of college that would like nothing more than to be in a work environment to understand what that feels like. Because mm -hmm. there is some joy in being around a work environment where you know, you've got access to resources. I don't know if we're going to need to print anything anymore. <laughs> no, it's like, I don't even know how a, you know, a banking employee can exist for 16 months without any printing resources and still succeed as a portfolio manager or as a strategist and do what you do without any paper trail, really. Mm -hmm. It's all documents and that all just happened. So these things are changing. You know, the, the necessity for certain types of resources are changing. So, but, but the bottom line is they're, they're trying and they're curious and they're exploring and they're trying to understand where this future of work is going and how can they, how they can best optimize it. A uh, steel case is a good example. If I, if I may offer that, yeah, please. They, uh, we're talking about their design staff and they're a company that stayed pretty much in person. Oh, for about the last year, like a lot of people, not everyone, but a, a good percentage of them, you know, they have offices in Michigan, they have offices um, overseas and uh, I forget, I forget all of them, but they have three major ones. Um, but the, the creative and the design staff 
you know, to, to pick the fabric and to look at the environment and to, to you know, to push chairs around and to, to actually, you know, do the, the path flows, those kinds of things, really helpful to do prototyping and design thinking when you see how people use an environment. So being in person for that kind of collaboration is really important for an organization that is driven by design. So when she was talking about it, um, Chris Congdon, um, VP of research there, when she was talking about it, it made total sense, you know? And so they've, they've been going through the phases of invite, engage and expect, and, you know, they've had, you know, people working from home and they, they still can work from home when they need to they, you know, no one's like looking over their shoulder and saying, you have to be in this office every day. Yeah. And that, and again, it comes down to that trust, right? Like, do people trust you to work remote? And even if you're trying to get the job, do they trust you during the hiring process, right? Like how do we build that trust? And it's usually through communication, like spending more time over communicating even a little bit to some degrees and, and things like that. One of the other things that I think is really interesting as you talk about the future of work is trends, right? Because a lot of times it's not, unfortunately, it's not always the best idea that wins. It's the one that catches on the, the most, right? And so we had this big shift when I was entering the workplace from cubicles to shared office spaces, right? So my first job, I was in, in cubicle land, right? Like Dilbert with the little prairie heads. Um, and then in my second job, it shifted to like pods in an open workspace. And everyone thought that that was going to be incredibly um, helpful in encouraging uh, collaboration. Um, but there was this company recent, uh, I don't know about recently, but there's this company that did, um, they had every, all their employees wear these badges on their chest, these like necklaces that tracked their audio interactions and um, like if the two things were facing each other for 10 seconds or more, that would count that as like an actual interaction and things like that. And they saw a massive decline, like 70% decline in people talking to each other and collaborating in open workspaces from cubicles because cubicles, you would actually go visit someone's cubicle and talk to them. Whereas in the open workspace, everyone's just like so overwhelmed and scattered and things like that. And so there's these interesting things that happen with trends where maybe not the best idea wins, but the most popular idea wins. So as someone who focuses on the future and trends and things like that, what have you sort of seen historically as like the, the things that tend to win out? What are the big trends that we've gone through in the past and what could we learn about those in the future? Well, you know, as a workplace futurist, I think about this all the time uh, about what, what we can learn from the past. But since I focus so much about the future and the trends that we've already adopted, I gave the example of, you know, the paper, paperwork, you know, do we really need paper? You know, if we haven't used it in 16 months, do we really need to store it in file cabinets, for instance? Mm -hmm. Like, let's just get rid of most of that. We weren't able to do that 16 months ago, but we, we kind of can now. The other phrase I heard yesterday was Zoom for one, Zoom for everyone. So when you go back into the office, you're, um, you know, we have the inclusion um, going on in the workplace. So everybody feels like they're welcoming and included. And the way to do that is Zoom for one, Zoom for everyone. And you are at your desk having meetings 
so that people that are always remote for their roles don't feel excluded and then they don't get in on the whiteboard conversation that you might have in 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 the conference room right so we're we're starting to use different types of tools online to compensate for that you know i'm a big whiteboard person so if you want to say what can we take from the past to the future how can we really make that real um i i still like i there's nothing more that i love yeah. to get up to a whiteboard put stuff up there plaster sticky notes and and to start mix mixing everything around i still find it you know somewhat unsatisfying to try to use the tools and switch those little sticky notes you know whiteboard stuff around online but um you know that that's you know some of the things that I, you know, I think we'll get there. Uh, just think, I, I think we'll get there in virtual reality. Virtual reality will be a part of our work environment, virtual reality headsets, not this year, not next year, but it's not that far away. These trends kind of happen and then it just really goes. I mean, you know, we were talking about blockchain, you know, what, nine years ago, and now it's really happening. You know, we were talking about AI and all that, you know, 10 years ago, and now it's really happening and it's escalating. So these trends are all affecting our workplace and the types of roles that we hold. That's such a good point, because I think, you know, job seekers, they're like, well, I really want to work remote. It's like, okay, but what does that mean for how you work remote, right? It's not just, I wanna work remote and do things my way and it's my way or the highway. It's like, no, you still have a boss. You still have a team that you need to collaborate with, right? And, um, you know, every, I, I was part of a, a group recently and we were using like seven different pieces of software just to communicate with each other. It's like, we've got these different places to, I'm blanking on all this Asana. We were using Asana. We were using Slack. We were using email. It's just like, where is everything? We have Google Docs. And it's like, it does make things more difficult. And I think, again, being part of the solution rather than sort of a stick in the mud who's contributing to the problem, which is like, I want to work remote. So cater to me. It's like, no, no, no. If you want to work remote, how do you still be the most helpful person in the room, right? That's what the job search is all about is being helpful? How do you help this company? And I guess where I'm really curious is like, there's sort of two, if you're just looking at the internet, right, there's sort of two camps. And the camps are the companies wanting to have productive employees and wanting to be able to maintain control of this um, ever increasingly remote and sprawling workforce, right, that's all around the world instead of all in one office. And employees who are like, I don't want, you know, everything I do to be hyper-tracked and micromanaged and be put in this position where I feel like I can't even be trusted to work, a, you know, remote and, and get my, my job done. And there's all this weird stuff happening in between where companies are putting like software on people's computers that would take pictures of them every five minutes to make sure that they're at their desk and things like that. Where do you think Let's start with the companies. Where do you think companies are going wrong in building relationships and building trust with employees and kind of allowing them to be able to be autonomous, but also engaged? Let's just start with that one. What do you think? Well, when you talk about tracking, this is where I get a little bit cringy. Um, so 
you know, I think sensor technology, which is, you know, 15, 20 years old technology that has been just exploded. It's why GPS became what it is. Before we had sensors, we couldn't do anything like that. We couldn't have Wave, we couldn't have Google Maps. It's highly useful things, right? This kind of technology. But when the technology starts to invade the personal space, I get kind of cringy. When I worked at an office, uh, even you know years ago, um, you know say ten years ago, I was very mindful to you know not put anything personal in work emails, to not do anything that would be suspect, to to not look at questionable websites while I was at work because I knew, uh, having worked in the mobile security and in the network security space, I knew what could be measured and managed even back then. Uh, but to think about it now, um, and, I, and it is coming into play, um, people that are taking these remote jobs actually are being monitored, just like you said. And it's not like they're saying, oh, well, you're being monitored, and they're telling you, well, be aware of every little thing you're doing. But it's, it's how they can calculate how much time you've spent on training, how much time you've spent on time with the customer. It's the way that they get at all that rich data that the marketers want, right? If you can, if you can measure all that. But I get a little cringy with that. And I wonder sometimes, who's looking at all this data? Like, are we collecting a lot of it and we're looking at 5% of it? You know, what, what, are, what are we really using it for? Are we just measuring it because we can? Um, I personally, I would like to think that, you know, give me my book of business, whatever that is, whatever my business is, um, let's select the goals and objectives and I will deliver and we'll have weekly meetings and we'll get, we'll, you know, we'll have the collaboration where needed and then we'll meet our quarterly objectives as a company, you know, just like before taking something that we've always done and doing it now. So I'm, I'm not in that camp where a remote worker has, has to wear a badge and be looking into the computer and can't be away from their computer for too long as if being, you know, I'm with your sketchbook or whatever isn't considered work, right. you know? It's like all that white space time is where the brilliance happens and that, that walk around the block, even if it's for an hour, is where all the ideas just popped into your head. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm a creative person. So like, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't constrain me and don't constrain anybody like that. Yeah. Cause it can start to be counterproductive, right? Like you're yeah. trying to manage everything, but you're also breaking trust with your employees and then they don't want to be there. And then maybe they leave and retention is also a really big key factor to think about. So it's a real balancing act, you know, and these companies, like you said, are experimenting. They're trying to figure it out too. So maybe they overstep, but then they pull it back because people are like, no, stop doing this. Right. And I think that's where we shift the focus to the employee or the job seeker who, um, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's like, you know, stand up for yourself and and know what you want and and get what you deserve and and all these different things. And I think that these are really important for us to internalize. Like, yes, you need to stand up for yourself. Yes, you need to get out of toxic work environments. Um, you need to know what you need going in so you don't get kind of walked over. But it, I can also see it kind of going too far at times where it tends to create arrogant or um, over overconfident, like uh, 
like people who don't know their bargaining position, uh, job seekers, where they're bargaining from a place where it's like, actually, at the end of the day, you don't have a say on that. Like you, if they need you in the office, you've got to go in the office. You can't just like say no, you know? Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the types of messages we're giving to job seekers and what maybe a realistic balance would be in how to think of yourself as a as an employer, as a job seeker, working with a company trying to experiment with these things? Well, I'll use the marketing example because you and I both uh, talk marketing, mm -hmm. talk that language. So if you, as a job seeker or as an employee, treat yourself like a marketer, which I think is really wise, marketing and sales are really great mindsets uh, for being in the workplace, is your market, who do you have to please? Who do you have to serve? Who do you serve? Guess what? It's about them, right? You are here to serve the people that you work with, your boss, and you are here to serve and understand what your customers need. Now, to the extent that you can bring your true self, your creativity, your ideas, and your clever navigation skills and your negotiation, Yes, that's going to help you stand out. That's what we do in branding, but it is not about you. I have a program called The Art of the Start, How to Crush Your First 90 Days, and this is about meeting the needs. Like, What are the quarterly objectives of your boss, your manager? If you don't know that within the first week, that's, you're not asking the right question. You need to understand how your management is measured so that you can construct your goals and objectives around that because when they look good, you look good. So it is, they are a market and um, it, it becomes, you know, if you've done the right job of finding the right fit and, you know, interviewing well and, you know, liking the people and understanding the culture, then it's going to work out. And then you won't feel, you know, justified to say, you know, I want more and, you know, they're not hearing me because you will have done that work on the front end. Yeah. And it, it almost feels like people are coming into the job search with a chip on their shoulder already. And it's like, wait, 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 we got to, we got to reverse this mindset a little bit to I'm here to help and if you can't afford my help, then that's fine. I can move on to the next company. Oh, but, sure. but like, <laughs> there is this sort of um, odd kind of dynamic that develops where, um, you know, I think folks get really worked up. And, you know, I've got your book right here uh, with the Agile Career. You're so and, kind. And <laughs> everyone should go check it out. Um, and I, I feel like, agility. And I want to bring that idea in here because it really, it's not about, am I working remote or am I in person? Am I hybrid? Am I, you know, this, or am I that? It's like, no, we need to go in flexible. And I think that flexibility enables us to roll with punches, to roll with policy changes. You know, folks who have been practicing agility for years, when the pandemic hit, they already had a workspace at home ready to go because they were ready for any kind of environment or maybe it wasn't already built, but they could get it up and running quickly because they weren't going, oh, why do I have to do this, right? Like 
that sort of why do I have to deal with this kind of mindset, I think gets in the way, both on the company side and on the individual side of like, you know, we almost make our lives and our jobs more difficult by saying things should be a certain way or the job search is broken. It shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't have to do six plus interviews to get this job. And the fact that this company is making me do it is total BS. Like all of a sudden now you're going to ruin your chance of getting that job because you've completely shifted your mindset from being helpful to having a chip on your shoulder. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on like on an individual basis? We've just gone through this crazy year and a half. We're now going through probably another decade of like companies experimenting and trying to figure things out. How do we keep ourselves positive um, or at least like flexible and agile with everything coming up? Let's step back to the word um, chip on your shoulder. I, I would frame that and it's actually framed in the context of your business, Martin, or the name of your business, uh, career therapy, right? So when people, when something doesn't work in, the, in, in your career, and let's be honest, we've all had time periods when things just don't work. I don't care who you are. It happens to all of us. Um, we're bruised, we're hurt, we're just very sad. And you know, some people you know, get to the point of being depressed because they, they couldn't figure it out. So we're entering into this job search with a piece of us that's somewhat missing. And um, you know, a lot of uh, job search coaches and career coaches and executive coaches say, you know, it's really about healing the individual. You know, we're not the, the psychology therapist, but many times we feel like it because people are hurting and they've got to get beyond that hurt. And sometimes that means talking about it for 50 hours or 20 hours with friends and relatives and anybody who will listen about how bad something was, getting it out of your system and feeling whole again. And it's hard to go from being let go and then just do job search on the following Monday. Mm. It's like, have you noticed that people just, they're not ready? No. They've, they've got a phase that they need to go through and they need to reconcile why this happened. It's not like they have to take this huge responsibility from what happened. It could just be, uh, I, I call it the separation. You separate what happened and um, what are the feelings? Mm -hmm. What happened is you no longer have a job. That's what happened. You got let go. The feelings about it may be, oh, that person was out for me, true or not. That person was out for me. They got me fired. They didn't like me. All of those feelings may or may not be true. There may be one kernel of truth in that, but when that person focuses on that, it takes away from their confidence and their self-esteem. So separate the two. You lost a job and work with you lost the job and build on that going forward because chances are the 25 things that you made assumptions about, maybe two of them are true. Mm -hmm. And why should you let those other 25 other things in your brain sit there and eat away at you? That's so true. Yeah, we recently did a podcast with Shelby for Cynthia, and she was talking about grief. And we were talking about like, 
you kind of need to go through a grieving process after you lose something. You're not just good to go, right? It's not like, you know, you can't, you can't date someone for five years, break up, and then the next day you're just like, oh, that never happened, next. <laughs> it's like you kind of have to process these things, right? And so allowing yourself the space to process things, I think is important, even in the job search, right? You get rejected from a job that you've been working towards for two months because they've had five interviews and you don't get it, it's not gonna be like, okay, next job, right? There's going to be a letdown period and maybe you need to take the weekend or a week off of the job search to get your head right so you don't bring that negative energy into the next role. And I think that that's all really you know, fascinating because um, when it comes to our ability to help people, right? If we're not in a good place, it's gonna be really hard to help. So if you're not in a good place, with yourself, it's going to be hard to go into a company and convince them that they can trust you, that that they're that they can give a huge budget to your role and expect a return from it. Um, what are maybe some some sort of tactics that people can practice in order to build that space and give themselves that that leeway? What are your thoughts on that? I think the best place to start, and it's something that you know a lot about. Martin, is it's this search for knowing yourself and branding yourself. Going through that type of reflection to build your story, to know who you are, to figure out that thread that ties it all together beautifully and wraps up the package in a nice big shiny bow. That is what you can do for yourself. And that becomes the cathartic process. I'm sure you could do it a lot of different ways, but I'm a huge fan of entering into creating those stories, creating those branding phrases that make you feel good about yourself. You know, when you go into an interview and say, um, and they say, you know, why should we hire you? Well, you know what? I'm multilingual. I speak technology and I speak, you know, I, I speak the language of the, um, of the customer as well. So I go into it with two languages or I have x-ray vision. I always ask that extra question. That is why I'm the best person you'll work with in the uh, customer success role. You know, just it's, it's that level of confidence. And these, these phrases come out of branding exercises. They come, it's, I go back to my very first um, job seeking experience out of college. I carried a portfolio of visual examples of design skills. And it's become the metaphor for the life of a careerist is that this, this visual, this narrative, this portfolio of skills that you carry with you and you sharpen and you adjust and you evolve becomes this rich repository of experiences. And when they come out in the right voice with confidence and in the right phrases, people will love you. Uh, the woman who had 16 interviews, she got two job offers from Fortune 100 companies. Nice. That absolutely adored her. They, they just had a longer interview process. You know, she did a 90 day plan for one of them. But, um, you know, it's, I could see her confidence just absolutely escalating over a period of 90 days herself in the job search. That's awesome. And I think part of that, what you're saying here is create 
an identity. When we talk about building a brand, I think sometimes people get really caught up in like being an influencer, or creating content or all these different things. What we're really, what in my mind, and I'm curious if you agree, what I'm really trying to say is like, have an identity that's not your job. Have an identity that exists even after you get fired, right? Um, one of my, when I went through my first layoff, um, I already had a career therapy meetup scheduled for that Saturday. It was the first meetup that I had scheduled. And as you know, the night before I got laid off, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm getting laid off in the morning. I'm pretty sure this whole team is going down. And it happened as, as I thought. And my first thought was, okay, on to my next project. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm nothing now, right? Because like I didn't have all my eggs in that basket. I diversified my identity. And it's, I've never even said it in that way before, but diversifying your identity, I think is really important to be like, oh, I have a family life. Oh, I have hobbies. Oh, I have personal projects. Oh, I do have a career as well. And they all make me up so that if you lose one of those things, it doesn't all crumble to the ground. You can lean on the other parts of your life. But I think we're sort of encouraged sometimes to put all of our eggs into our job, right? We don't have uh, social structures the way we used to. We don't have religious structures the way we used to. Families might be living all around the country. My family currently lives all around the country. So we don't even have like a core group anymore. And it is kind of interesting how like when everything in your life is your job, when you wake up at three in the morning, like someone I know, they wake up at 3.30 in the morning, they work out, they go to work, they are at work from 6 a.m. is their first meeting till uh, whoever knows when they get home. And then they go to bed at 9 p.m. When your entire life is your job and you lose that, you have to start everything over from scratch. And I think what you're hitting on here is like, your personal brand, it doesn't have to be become an influencer because that's that's a whole different thing. But it it is just like fortify who you are, know yourself in a way. Would you agree with that? What are your additional thoughts there? Yeah, so I th the way to summarize everything you just said is curiosity. And so if you're exploring the curiosity of who you are from inside, going inside deep and then looking external to that, it's all gonna work. Uh, we were mentioning the uh, book club that I was a part of. It's, it's called Book Flow um, is the name of the club. And we're people from all over the world, Australia, Brazil, um, you know, all over, all over the country and Canada as well. And honestly, for the first six months, I didn't even know what people in the, the that I was having these really deep um, breakout sessions with, because uh, we would meet for two and a half hours. And we'd have these really deep and meaningful conversations. And I didn't even know what they did. And I'm coming to find out, you know, some of them are retired physicists. You know, there's, you know, Stanford, you know, professor that works on, um, you know, virtual reality experiences. Um, there's a master planner that's an architect. There's, you know, there's just a lot of different types of people. And then there's professors, right? That, that taught a number of uh, subject areas, engineers. And um, that to me is, was kind of interesting because we never, when we introduced ourselves, we actually just talked about the topics that we were interested in. We didn't really talk about what it is that we do on a daily basis. I never walked in and said, oh, you know what? I'm a career coach. I'm a career decoder. 
Um, I, I didn't, I didn't come up with that. I didn't say, you know, I'm, you know, I did talk a bit about being a workplace futurist, but that's more of a, a bucket thing that includes a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. It's not what it is that I do. Um, I don't make my money by being a workplace futurist. I love that. Yeah. And it really is, you know, it's, it's that leading with curiosity and that's what we encourage people to do on networking. Like don't reach out about jobs, reach out about interests and nerd out and build from there. And if there was one thing that you could leave someone with as they're trying to plan the next five to 10 years of their career, because, you know, planning ahead seems to be almost, <laughs> almost a scary thing to do, right? We, we planned ahead and then the world changed, right? But as people are trying to once again, get into the habit of thinking one, five, 10 years ahead, um, what would you encourage them to start thinking about? Well, I'm going to start with one of the biggest challenges that I deal with and then say my recommendation. The biggest challenge that I see uh, for mid-career job seekers is they've got a lot of experience and they don't know how to parlay that in the job seeking experience. And so I, I encourage them um, I, I have a, you know, a new positioning I'm working on. It's, you know, a career decoder where I um, help mid-career job seekers shed that invisibility cloak and to transform those experiences into a visible in-demand portfolio of skills, which is precisely what their dream employer is looking for. And so I think if I were to, to say, I would say exactly that it's, you know, don't overwhelm, you know, with all of that you can do, edit your experiences that is in the context of their needs. Wonderful. And Marty, if folks want to learn more about what you're doing, where should they go? What, what can they find about you? Um, probably the best place uh, would be my newsletter on LinkedIn, it's not really a newsletter. It's just where you go to, to see articles. It's called Agility Think. And if you go to my profile on LinkedIn, I'm the only Marty constant in the world. I'm an open networker. Um, and you can, you know, look at the, the number. It's under under the um, the title Agility Think. So that that's how I frame everything that I do. Wonderful. And we'll link all that in the description. Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Martin. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.